Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsperts.ie. And together we are the Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> Brady's still marking his own homework. <laughs> so, gentlemen, uh, good evening. It's Q and A. Uh, we are Raw Pet Medics, and we're delighted to see you. Okay, I'm going to jump in with the first question. Chantal has asked a question, and it's really, really interesting question. Uh, gutted, I forgot to ask my question in. Put to get my question in. I was going to ask about dogs getting depression. I groom a dog whose parents' parents have split and he's just not been the same since. So not as happy as he used to be. They share him. I wondered if dogs do get depression. I think there's about 20 answers to that. And I'm going to start by saying I once treated a cat homeopathically. This cat was regurgitating probably about three or four times a week. And so we treated using nuts, formica and various other um, more inspired remedies than Nux Formica, and the cat was about 80% better. The owner rang me a couple of years later because one of the other cats was, was ill, and I said, oh, how was the first cat with vomiting? And she said, oh, he stopped completely. And I said, oh, my God, how did you do that? And she said, I divorced my husband. <laughs> That'll do it. And that... So that so that's a really good example. I could give you ten others uh, to say, Chantal. I think you're absolutely onto things. Do dogs get depression? Yes, they do. They've got a nervous system. They've got they've got a, a thought process. They they can they can uh, rationalise these things when people are biting and angry and unhappy and what they can they can soak up that. I am absolutely convinced of that. And um, so that would be my opening. Uh, um, gambit there have you guys got any thoughts on depression before we start talking about what you do what you do I'll let, let Brian go first but before that, he goes is that the Rachel Meadows that you just read the question out for those people going <laughs> nuts on the comments getting worried about divorces suddenly happening <laughs> as they're sat right next ah. to them <laughs> ah I thought she was a, I thought she was a behaviourist and she wanted to answer the question legitimately Rachel Meadows says Oh, I'd love to answer this question. If there is any behaviourists and they are there and they want to comment, please, we, we'd, we'd appreciate your insight. What's, uh, what about you, Brent? What do you think? Uh, no, no, you go, Connor, because uh, I've got so many other questions we've got to get through. We're not all going to have a comment and everything. I think, uh, I think Nick probably started that uh, spot on there. Like, you know, there really could be 20 answers to this question. And, uh, but you definitely see dogs feeding down in the dumps uh, when things happen. Some dogs, if they could be living with their life partner dog in the house and the dog dies and you wouldn't see much of a difference in the dog other dogs it markedly affects them you hear it all the time ibs kicks in uh, all sorts of stuff but just down in the dumps just missing their partner I, so i definitely think that goes on i think it happens in loads of animal societies we know elephants mourn their mourn their dead and that kind of stuff and uh, so i think it, I definitely think it goes on, but a huge amount of debate goes on in all that uh, world about what that actually means and why it's happening. 
and how much of it is a reflection of what the owner is feeding and that kind of stuff because the pets absorb any stress in the house. So yeah, the divorce thing, that's a classic. We I've heard in training days where the dog would wee on the bed, they'd wee on the on the on where the stress was happening, you know, and it's like anyway, like so I believe there's a whole lot in that for sure. I totally believe in it. Uh, and I I think they probably do suffer a bit of that. I think they suffer most emotions that, that we get. Um so uh, most of them, not all of them. But uh, yeah, so depression, I totally believe in it. And uh, I would say it's the, for the same reasons we get it. And yeah, I, I totally believe in it. But that's about all I know. I, I think you're right there. Um, I, so just because uh, it sounds like Brenda's got a list as long as your arm for, of questions. So just uh, I see a homeopathic vet. That's, for me, that would be the, the quickest way because you modern medicine does not do no, emotions. Yeah, no. They can suppress them. They can, they can zonk your, your, your yeah. dog out and what have you but they will not treat at the level of the emotional yeah. uh, energy. Yeah. And so I think seeing it, seeing a homeopathic vet, if you go to the bahvs.com, British Association of Homeopathic Veterinary Surgeons, there's a list there of, of vets, bahvs. Or nowadays, you can just do a Google on homeopathic vet. So yeah. off you go. That's, That's really, nice. really good. Bren, you've got some questions yeah. for us. Okay, one from Jane. Uh, Connor, in your fun, fantastic podcast on behaviour, uh, mentioned... Uh, that there should be given uh, the probiotics should be given without adding to food um, in a liquid medium. I've heard this once before. Is it true for all probiotics? Nick, Ooh. I think you should go first. Silly podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just be before I do that, I'd just like to say very, very big thank you to all our Patreon. We have just increased our Patreon supporters enormously. Uh, so thank you very much, guys. I'm not sure what we did. Maybe did somebody change their aftershave or something? It was my, it was my, <laughs> so, it was my seaweed you. competition. My seaweed competition. Uh, yeah, everybody it obviously loves was. Yeah. So um, just to say thank you, and and you can find us on uh, what is it? Patreon.com forward slash Raw Pet Medics. That's the one. Okay, so th thanks a lot. So that gets me into Pete's good books as well. Pete, that was me. So there we go. So um, I always give probiotics where possible on an empty stomach because an empty stomach has a, le a, a, a less has less acid. Yeah, when you get excited about food, you produce acid, and acid is there to kill um, bacteria. Now, if you're using a spore form, it's going to be less affected by acid. But why go there when you can avoid it? So I tend to give probiotics on an empty stomach when the people say, oh, when do I give it? It's like whenever, you know, two hours away from food, whenever you like, just before bed, if you fancy. So I think it's as simple as that. I like simple answers. And that's where I would go with that. Connor, you got any? Um, no, that's it. That that's one? exactly it. You're, the dog's very low uh, stomach acidity. Ours is about pH 2, let's say, when it's getting going. Dogs be pH 1, let's say, and rounding there. But that's a tenfold decrease, you know, so it's a huge difference. And it's a battery acid. So life like uh, lactobacillus and bifidobacillus will get zapped in that. So you're not, you don't want to throw the troops into the lava. So studies show when you put them in liquid form, they get through better because the stomach doesn't hold on to liquids. It only holds on to solids and processes them. So if it sees a liquid, it's like shoot through and you go straight through the duodenum where you get a big release of life. Up to 20 times the release of life, they reckon, when it's done in liquid form between, between meals. So I agree with that. I think the soil probiotics, a lot of them are yeast-based and yeast are encapsulated in cellulose and they very difficult to digest them and we don't have any they're pretty pretty they're just bulletproof and they don't get digested by our body because we don't produce cellulase 
So uh, I think they probably get through to a degree and then they hang around for a few weeks and they head off. I wouldn't, but like Nick said, why would you risk it with any of them when you would just give it in liquid form? I like a little bit of full fat probiotic yogurt, a bit of water, make it liquidy, anything, whatever you have handy, whatever makes him drink it. Yeah, definitely uh, a last thing at night, um, probiotic liquid um, sort of Ooh. supper, you know, good um, two to three hours after food. Uh, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, or definitely before food and give them a break for half an hour um, if you're going to give it first thing in the morning. Uh, but just, yeah, just look at that and look at sporulated. That's the whole point of the sporulated probiotic is to allow them to get through. Give the handshake of uh, the right acidity as they go through into the small intestine. They hatch out of the spore that's been protecting them and go for it. Absolutely agree with Nick. Um, we've used things like phytospore in the past. Uh, for that and, and that's the point of going for those sporulated ones rather than the live probiotic that, that Connor I know you love um, I do. your biocults and stuff like that I do uh, Connor you had some really good questions that you were popping up on our WhatsApp group um, yeah, Nick's got a question written all over his face though what is it Nick you're dying to no, no no oh. I, no no I, I'm uh, just looking forward to my dinner that's all <laughs> right okay <laughs> he's already going Come on, guys. I've just, got, I've just got a bit of wind, Connor. That's what it is. That's all it is. Yeah. You, you, get to, you get to that age. You don't even have to apologise, Nick. We're grand. It's gurning. I mean, it happens. Um, so, listen, I, I was doing a nice two, three-day seminar there over the weekend on uh, feeding dogs, right, the role of uh, carbs and insulin and cancer, and feeding the dog, if you had a dog with cancer. Very learned people on there, let me tell you. And um, so one thing came up where, you know, it's not mu- not going to be much of a revelation for most of us on here, but you know when you have this dog with cancer, I'd be recommending real food. And a couple, two top questions came up. The first one was, can you give real food to dogs with cancer? Can you give raw food to dogs with cancer? And I would say, like outside of the terror times, like let's say he's annihilated and he's you know going through terrible chemo and he's very sick and you're worried and concerned, don't be worrying about that. If you want to slightly cook the food or buy a slightly cooked food product, that's fine as long as it keeps within the rules of take it easy with the carbs no carbs because carbs are going to be the problem so don't worry about that then if that's going to keep you happy in your vet but outside of that i would say it's paramount that your dog gets fresh food and um the, the thing is when you compare the two products you don't really have a choice because this product here is also recalled heavily for salmonella and contains mycotoxins and terrible fats and uh, chemical preservatives and napalm the gut floor and all the other things that are going to aggravate cancer so it's not like you have a huge variety of options. Fresh food is vital for people with cancer. You just need to take care, choose good quality raw dog foods. As we just mentioned at the start, raw safe is going to come online soon and that's going to be even better for making it easier for us to do that. So um, I think that is, that's a first. And the second thing that came up, if I could, the second thing was um, everybody asked, I'm going to ask you guys this, everybody asked, um, so the, the diet that you would recommend for a dog with cancer, and I'm simplifying greatly here, please nobody act on this, but it'd be a higher fat, moderate protein, moderate adequate protein, and uh, virtually zero carbohydrates. Okay, a bit of veg, dark greens, you get a bit of carbs now. Not a lot, no starchy stuff, okay? Nothing that punches the insulin. So quite higher fat, bit of protein. And when you convert that to energy, you get way more fat from the energy. So it ends up being this ratio of 25, 70%. Who cares? Quite fatty, okay? So quite a, like a fatty beef mince kind of level of fat in the diet. And everybody said, uh, but won't that blow out the dog's gut flora? And I was like, this isn't, you know, this isn't that unusual a diet. I'm just saying put out the carbs completely. So, guys, have you heard of this thing about blowing out a gut flora? And wh- wh- where would that be coming from? What is that? 
Yeah, so uh, can, yeah. I, can I go in for that? I think yeah, 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 yeah. there are two parts to that. So the very first one about this whole thing, we've got to come off raw if they're on chemotherapy or if they're on um, steroid dosing. And so we've got a question uh, on the Facebook post with regards to my dog's been on high dose steroids with INTP, so a new mediated thrombocytopenia, a problem with attacking its own uh, platelets. You know, oh my God, do I have to cut out this risk? And I absolutely say, look, if you're going to be giving, if they're going to be giving drugs which are going to knock your immune system so far out of kilter that they're worried about bacteria they may come into contact with, they should be telling you to isolate your dog in the home. They should be telling you to uh, kill off all of the gut bacteria that that dog has because there's no going to shed balls. loads in there. Uh, no yeah. tennis balls, no playing yeah. in the garden, no possibly scavenging anything from the head. Definitely yeah. nothing out of your fridge, guys, okay? Because yeah. that was one of the biggest sources of inappropriate bacteria is waste human food, even that hummus, okay? Um, and just really do not give uh, anything like that to your dog. That's just craziness. Realistically, in the veterinary world, there should be nobody that is using that level of chemotherapeutics to knock out your dog's immune system to that extent that you cannot feed responsible raw. Now, I'm not talking about stuff that's been rotting on your fridge shelf or rotting on the local store shelf. Connor, I know you're smiling, but I know you love that stuff with yellow. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you're not going to be feeding that in those circumstances. But, you know, guys, there's some great companies out there producing good food that is properly sourced and produced and delivered to your door. Um, or, or into stores locally for you. The second thing about the blowing out the gut flora, you know, high fats, if they're not used to it, um, I, I've heard it before, you know, they're sort of talking about, well, they're going to get the energy out. There's maybe a bigger move through of gut flora. There's not enough fiber within the diets. And if you go back to our fiber discussion back uh, a few months back now, I think it was, um, you know, we talked about that's really the feeding the gut flora. Um, we're not feeding no animal fibers within those diets. We're just reducing it when you're increasing the, the energy and the fats. There are bacteria out there that can cope with that. There may be a change in gut flora, but, you know, is that a bad thing? Is that actually more towards what we should be aiming for? You know, these people are comparing gut flora to omnivores, to us, to horses, you know, herbivores, you know, that's not necessarily the right way to be going. Um, you know, that, there was a bit where I was looking at a really good um, varied gut flora would be the ideal because it makes them adapt to anything that they may get passing the, their lips uh, and going into their gut. Um, it may give better resilience. But actually, the more I looked at um, different gut floras in different species, you wonder whether that is the way that we should be. Is that actually because we've contaminated their diets that we've corrupted their gut flora and made them less resilient because there's so much variety in there? So I think there's still questions to be answered. I think we're, we're very much at the novel end of, uh, yeah. uh, of gut flora understanding. Nick, go for it. There's a couple of things that I'm just going to chip in there, guys. Um, like what you're saying there, Brent. Um, I would just say that this this whole idea about the energy in food needs to be, we need to uh, be really clear about that. If you've got a pound of pure 
sirloin steak and you've got half a pound of pure dripping, okay, just be extreme, yeah? So you've got a pound of, a pound of pure, pure protein, more or less, and you've got a pound of pure fat, more or less. The amount of energy that you get from those two things, if you burn those two things, the amount of energy you would get would be about the same. So when we're saying this diet is a high fat diet, it isn't that there's lots and lots of fat in the bowl. There is more fat than you would have normally in a, in a diet, because otherwise the dog's probably going to put on weight or get a bit squitty or something. It's just going to be increased so that the amount of energy from fat is slightly more than the energy from protein. Okay, and it's about a two to one ratio. That's the first thing. If that's if that's not clear, guys, please do say because I think then therefore we need to do a show on uh, metabolic energy and doing those conversions things. It's really easy once you get your head around it. The second thing to say was blowing out the gut. How do you blow out the gut? Does that mean that if Good a floor. lion Good eats, a, eats, a, eats a zebra, they're going to blow out their gut? You know, I think Mother Nature is a whole lot more clever than that. I think if you're, if you're feeding anything vaguely resembling a good, responsible, raw food diet, you're not going to blow... What does that even mean, blow out the gut? You know, I, blow, I think it's about flora. reducing numbers of species within the gut. Um, and there was a question came up on um, the, uh, the, the Facebook feed with regards to mm. a puppy that had had chronic diarrhoea having been... Uh, fed an inappropriate diet, uh, and they're trying to resolve its chronic diarrhea, even though and wanted to know about moving it back onto raw. Is it safe to move it onto raw? Uh, because when they've done the uh, the gut flora checks, there's literally loads of shigella, and uh, which is really you know unusual in those sorts. And I think vermiculinoides, something like that, that was in in that. I can't see the post right now. Uh, and that is. Uh, all that they were really seeing and so I'm guessing that you know in those cases those are the ones where I would be saying it's not so much blown out as being corrupted by an overgrowth of inappropriate bacteria uh, those are cases where I would actually use the atrantol we talked about in previous ones to really reduce those overgrowths before even attempting to put in probiotics because otherwise you're just you know peeing in the proverbial wind because there's just nowhere for you to seed out those new pro those so new this, probiotics. This is uh, Nick is holding up a trantil there. So tell me, what's a trantil do? This is a trantil. It, it's it's basically it helps to rebalance. If you want it really simply, it kind of kills. It it, it reduces the bad guys and encourages the good guys. Yeah. Okay? So the three, there's product. three herbs in there, isn't there, Nick? It should just horse read chestnut. them out. It's horse chestnut. I've got those. It is febraco, which is heartwood extract. That's there is one. horse chestnut uh, in there, and there's peppermint leaf. So wow. really simple, but it's just it just gives the, the bad guys a hard time and encourages Crazy. the good guys. I essentially. love it. I love it. God, yeah. that's such that's so cool. Horse chestnut. You did Atrantil. And Marissa, if you're asking about that, I think Atrantil is actually made in America, so I would be really surprised if you can't get it in Canada. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, something that we tend to import over here. But it's used for a lot of people with intransigent um, irritable bowels, uh, you know, and especially Ooh. if they've got methano 
bacteria. So if their irritable bowel is giving them everything from constipation all the way through to diarrhea, yeah. excessive gurgling and gas, um, a trantal bloating. can be a really, yeah. bloating, Great, a can be a really useful. Um, oh, I love that. I'm going to take that tip and pass it off as my own to numerous clients. <laughs> um, <laughs> what other questions have you got, guys? Oh, so um, we've got uh, one about hormonal treatments and treatments of long-term incontinence. Um, so, Nick, uh, your view on is it a problem for dogs with long-term incontinence, so having been neutered, to have either propylin, okay, um, or a hormone in order to... Incurin. Incurin to... Um, uh, Help that incontinence. Okay, uh, great question. Can I? will jump into this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so my thought would be. So this is something. The, the, the statistic is something like fifteen percent of bitches who are spayed will become incontinent either within days or within years and years and years. When they get older, they will get a bit leaky, uh, and classically they will lie down, wake up in the morning, and there'll be a little puddle there because there's been a little bit of pressure on the bladder, and their bladder's been filling overnight. So that's that's the context. I wouldn't be going anywhere near propylin or incurin until I had done some acupuncture and some homeopathics. Causticum, uh, 200C can be very, very useful. Uh, there are numerous other, other remedies. Uh, also, not in males, not unknown in males, but it is there. Some bitches will only leak if they've had really excessive exercise. So sometimes you just need to just taper the exercise a wee bit and that can help with those things. Also acupuncture. See your local acupuncture vet. That can be super, super, super useful. And I would really go there. If I was going to go, uh, if none of those are working, I don't have a problem with long-term propylene. I, I think it's a relatively benign. Technically, they say it will make you, some dogs, aggressive. I have never seen an aggressive dog on propylene. Uh, and in curing, I will only use if the propylene and nothing else is working because I don't like mucking about with synthetic hormone. Uh, Connor, you, you have some really interesting stuff on hormones and sort of contaminants of the the watercourses and environment. Um, I did actually. That was a doozy because I wasn't going to be able to add that incontinence bit because that does come up that incontinence thing now and again. It must be a right pain. Um, so. Uh, yeah, the I was talking, extolling the benefits of, you know, some various different types of seaweed you can use for uh, when you've got cancer, because it contains all these really potent anti-cancer chemicals. There's a huge amount of studies behind it, which kind of annoys me. You know, you know, the science isn't there. How many studies do you need before somebody would recommend including something like this in somebody's life or diet? It's so totally anti-tumor, anti-proliferation. Like, oh, anyway, look. So I'm I'm just I'm um, winding them up a bit, and then I'm saying, look, guys, you know, go down to the coast. You don't need to buy supplements from anybody, but if you had to buy them from me, uh, and then you would go to the coast. I say, and just and just pick your own. Go stay away from the marina. Stay away from all. Go to nice. But here's how to pick it, and aim for the brown ones because that's where all the fucoks and fucoks happen is. And everybody just comes in, pop, pop, pop. No, not here. Not on the west coast of the states. Not on the west coast. Not in California. Not. I was like, no, surely not. And I'm googling as I talk to them, and sure enough, um, yeah, the uh. Seaweed was one thing, but it had little isotopes from the Fukushima disaster I had taken a hammering. And then straight away, I go to my next item saying, and what about mussels? And I said, oh, no, our mussel industry, no. And then, because actually we've got a big problem with the opiates that are being released by the sewers works. And I was like, what? 
So they have this, you know, everyone is aware of the opioid epidemic and the wean and then into the sewers works and that's being pumped out into the sea, of course. And uh, and that is a, is a now going to be a contaminant of their of their food chain as well. And I just thought, my God, between the two of those things, and then the and then the outlets from the uh, CAFOs because they don't put the poo and stuff from the intensively reared hogs and and uh, and cattle. They don't put that into anywhere, so it sits in swimming pools until eventually they just get rid of it, or it leaks out, or a big storm washes it out. It just sits there. Think how radioactive that is. Half use of antibiotics, who. I mean, that would just be, you just dip your finger in that and, you're, and so that leaks out. And so you can see in the Gulf of Mexico, there's big dead zones around the uh, thing. So, mm. so yeah, I just thought, wow, you can't even pick your seaweed from your own seashore. We don't know how lucky we have it over here in Ireland and Britain. And we got, we've got seriously clean waters and, you know, you kind of just expect that's what's going to happen. And even like this, they couldn't get fat because they didn't want to use the fat from the CAFOs because they thought it was so contaminated and filthy. that said, no, we're not going to buy that fat. Finding organic beef fat is hard. And it's like, wow, what? You produce the most cows in the world and you can't get decent quality cow fat. I mean, my God, you know. See, see, Connor, what's what's a CAFO? A concentrated animal feed operation. So it's a way to rear animals uh, in in mass production. So just millions of cattle uh, and stall-fed wheat and corn. It's a way to not feed them pesky grass and feed them wheat and corn. That's where most of our cereal, the majority of our cereal is grown. Feed these animals. Terrible environments keep them on low-dose antibiotics to keep them alive for the 11 months until you can slaughter them. Mass slaughtering, you know, I think a chicken can be from plucking to a packet in less than 10 minutes. Um, like, it's just crazy stuff. And so when you talk about contamination in meat and salmonella and E. coli, that's where the stuff comes from. The rapid mass slaughtering and the spraying of the internal bits, that's where E. coli and salmonella come from. The internal uh, digestive system of, of the animal is badly handled and it just sprays everywhere. And, you know, so... Not a good thing, these CAFOs. It's the worst way possible to raise an animal. It's dreadfully inhumane. The massive methane uh, from the wheat and corn, you're trying to feed a ruminant. They don't want to eat that crap, but it grows them big and fat quickly, and so that's the main thing. You know? it's the, the, uh, a CAFO is, if you like, a really, uh, uh, in Europe, we call it battery chickens, battery, therefore, pig, pork, yeah, pork. and battery beef. Yeah? yeah, you cram them in, you feed them crap, you... you grow them quickly and you slaughter them before they will die themselves. That's yeah. essentially what, yeah. what the CAFOs are all about. Really bad quality, yeah. contaminated hormones and interstate hormones and antibiotics in this country, just not great quality. Yeah. And they fatten quickly cheap. because of the inflammation that those feeds give them, you know, and that, you know, isn't that Ooh. just the ultimately bad thing oh, that you yeah. want, you know? So it just, yeah, we know that through all of those hormones from insulin and through the, how they convert fat, uh, even the toxins on the aflatoxins on that corn feed, you know, all of those things, they don't mind feeding substandard grain to those animals. Yeah. It's not because, you know, it's, oh, well, we can't use it for humans. We're going to use it for animals. At least it's not wasted. No, actually, there's a benefit to having a slightly moldy grain and it fattens Ooh. the animals quicker. Wow. It's just like, so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, we're not in for CAFOs, lots of risk of contaminants, all of that, you know, if they just controlled those animals properly, all of that soil building that could be there. And, 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 you know, (laughs) Nick, you, you can tell that I've been with Moddy and Charlie for the weekend. (laughs) All we were talking about is soil building. Oh, and this is a really good point. 
Um, so for you, for those of you who are viewing, don't know Modi and Charlie. Modi's just the tribe queen. She works with Bonner and Nick uh, as well. And um, uh, she's just a, a brilliant uh, um, uh, lady for company. And we did some recording while I was down there and, and lots of you know, conversations. Her husband is has an army background, but he's so into regenerative farming at the moment. I mean, it's just glorious to hear him you know, talking about his experience and then all of the stuff that I think Nick's put him onto is off down little, you know, mole holes of information to try and uh, cram into his brain. He brought up a really, really interesting thing. So when they go out to Afghanistan or they're going out to the Gulf, or they, go, they as soldiers who are highly trained, super fit, need two weeks to accommodate the new environment. And for all of those people that were making comments about, ah, we're in the States and we've got temperatures up for whatever for so long, um, you know, if it takes two weeks to acclimatize to that new temperature, that's great if you've got a seasonal change and you're expecting it. But for the UK and places similarly, where it is just rockets up and then goes back down and then rockets up, that's why we warn people about stressors, okay? for your pets you know and it's Good now call. so they absolutely see it they've they've done this for decades and decades now recognizing that if they don't acclimatize those soldiers they will fail in the first 24 48 hours okay so just that's a little point that good old charlie i'm going to give you a shout out um, yeah raised hi charlie hi moddy yeah fantastic guys i'm really sorry i've just read this and i cannot can you read that? It's a book. Yeah. It sounds like a book I want to read. Rooted. Rooted pictures? by Sarah Langford. Sarah Langford. Okay. Yeah. Rooted by Sarah Langford. It's by Penguin, so it's a good publication. She spoke at the Sustainable Food Trust. I was, she's a barrister, mother of two, farmer. And I was just so impressed. As she was talking, I ordered the book on, on, on Amazon. Worth every penny. Absolutely like, fantastic. Like she goes it. and talks to regenerative and organic farmers in the UK and finds out what's the what's the reality of this this stuff in the UK. Yeah. Done a lot of stuff in in Australia, but this is in the UK. What is the reality? Is it possible? Can we do it? Can we feed the world using these regenerative models? So super yeah. interesting. I, I love Rachel Max. I, I was just going to call out Rachel Max comments. Oh, another book. <laughs> It's just deadpan oh. and a picture of a book. Oh, another book. It's not like happiness, smiley faces. It's just like pressure. You haven't done your this homework. This time last year, they were hungry for it. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. it's just, oh my God, will you yeah. stop reading? Yeah, it's just a constant <laughs> reminder that everyone's reading more books than me. Um, I, I want to make one point. We said about that this is a really, that the factory farms are a really efficient way of making protein. Ironically, terribly ironically, they're not. They're uh, compared to, this is what Salatins was saying on his uh, TED talk, really good TED talk, cows, grass, and something, cows, grass, and carbon. Salatins' his name is, isn't it, Nick? Salatins? Um, uh, Joel, Joel Salatins. Yeah. And he said that his farm in Georgia, he's been doing it for 60 years, never used a chemical, never used anything. It just, and his farm produces 10,000 pounds of animal protein per acre for, let's say, a year. And a factory farm does 2,500 pounds. So he says we can produce or two ten thousand pounds of biomass. Excuse me, ten thousand pounds of biomass of the grass. Anyway, whatever the comparison was, his land does four or five times more. He says 
And all he does, just walk them over at the correct time, pass them over the grass when it's long enough, not keeping the grass short all the time. So the terrible irony, he said, is that I can produce way more meat than you guys can, which are horrible, inhumane concentration camp meat is what he calls it. Um, so that's the irony. It's so, so sad that there's better ways to do it, but the two or three mega companies that own the, own the rights, uh, it's a big lobby. Very hard to take that out of, take that out of their hands. Um, that is a oh. fairly packed FAQ. Yeah. Is there anything else burning your, um, is there anything else you need to get off your chest before you go on to whatever it is next week? Oh, no, there's probably plenty. But a million, a million things. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that was that was a real goodie. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. that was a good one. Thank you. Yeah. So you look yeah. any, anything but... with sustainable farming in it, Nick. You're happy as long as he gets. It's <laughs> <I'm laughs> <happy. I'm laughs> very easy to keep. Yeah, yeah. my friend. Nice. When when the revolution comes, you're going to thank me. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Well, until then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, yeah. thank you so right. much. See ya. Yeah. Amazing, Thanks. great guys. Yeah. Thank Bye. you. Blah, 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 blah,